Well, it is good to see everybody. Thank you for being with us on this cold Sunday morning. We are missing some of our folks that are out at the family, youth and family retreat. That's where Jeremy is this morning. He's uh, speaking out there this morning with, with the group that's there. But it's good to see everybody. It's good to be together. Thank you, Brother Dilworth, for those words uh, for the Lord's Supper meditation. That was great. Stay connected. Stay connected to our source. Um, we are studying, and we're almost finished with, in these Sunday morning sermons, the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's, that's where I want us to focus our attention this morning. If you go through 1 Corinthians, the topics are all over the place. Paul basically wrote this to deal with problems that were just popping up like popcorn in this in this church in Corinth. It was a good church. It had some good things about it, but there were lots of problems. So he deals with this, and he deals with that, and he deals with the other. And in, and in chapter 15, there's this whole other problem that's a little surprising to us because it seems so central to what we believe. And we've been singing these songs about our hope and, and what heaven will be like and what the resurrection is like. But in Corinth, no kidding, there were people in the church, people in the Christian community who were saying, yeah, we can have Jesus and we can have Christianity, but that resurrection idea doesn't make sense to us. It was a very odd development. 1 Corinthians, look down in verse 12, if you're in, verse, in chapter 15, look at verse 12 with me. Now, if Christ is proclaimed from raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? So in other words, there were folks at Corinth who were saying there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. Now, the reason for that uh, in their culture probably had to do with philosophy of various kinds. Plato really had emphasized about three centuries earlier that the body is a problem, you don't want your body, the body makes you evil, the body makes you foolish, the body makes you weak. If you could just get rid of your body, your soul could float free and, and be much better off. And there were a lot of people who thought that was true, and so it may be that the people at Corinth were swayed by that idea. There was also the idea of a philosophical group called the Epicureans who said, look, your soul and your body are all tied up. They're just made of atoms. They're just made of little particles. And when you die, what that means is all the particles dissipate and scatter. There can't be anything left of you once that happens. That was the Epicurean uh, viewpoint 2,000 years ago, 2,200 years ago is when that first got articulated. So it may be that some of the people at Corinth thought that way, I don't know. But for whatever reason, they were saying, yeah, we like Jesus and we like what you guys are preaching. We just don't understand this doctrine that you're going to have a resurrected body. An afterlife with a resurrected body, that makes no sense. And that Jesus was in the grave and that he came out of the grave, I don't understand how that could be. So the longest chapter in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, is dedicated to answering that question. Paul says, let me talk to you about the resurrection. Christians, why is that important for you? 
that Paul wrote his longest chapter about the resurrection. Let me give you two reasons. One, we also live in a world where there's skepticism about this hope we have for what happens after death. And it's good for us to know the facts and to be able to say them. And two, and much more importantly, I'm going to talk more about this in a minute, the hope that Jesus has given us by his resurrection, that we too will share in his life, that hope is one of the main drivers of our Christian life. It's like the fuel in our tank to get us to do what God has called us to do, to be what God has called us to be. So let's talk about that this morning. If you're in 1 Corinthians 15, you can see that Paul starts that passage that we had read this morning, verses 1 through 11, he starts by saying, let me talk to you about this. I, I preached this to you and I gave you a list. I received it and I passed it on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, starting in verse 3. Verse 4, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I'm the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was, it was not been in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than all of them. Though it was not me, but the grace of God in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. He tells the Corinthian Christians, you know the facts of the resurrection. And I love the fact that he's just so upfront about it. This is a list that he had already taught them when he evangelized them. This is a list he didn't make up. This is a list that goes way back to the Jerusalem church. The list of the original uh, legal witnesses to the resurrection. And it's a fascinating, fascinating study. And the point is, Paul says, we are grounding our faith in this story of Jesus being raised from the dead. You know, there are some beliefs you have that you shouldn't investigate. Because if you investigate them, they blow up. And if you look too closely at certain beliefs, I've never actually met anyone who, was, who believed that the earth was flat. At least I don't think I have. It never came up, let's put it that way. But that's one of those beliefs that if you investigate it for very long, it blows up. The more you look at it, the harder it is to hold on to a belief like that. Now, it was easy one time, but now it's really hard to believe that. If you investigate it, the resurrection is the opposite of that, as it turns out. By the way, I've done a lot of study on this in my academic life. The resurrection is one of those beliefs that the less you know, the easier it is to doubt. The more you dig into the facts, the more you learn about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the more convinced you become that it happened. Paul starts out with just a witness list and he says, you could go interview these people. A lot of them are still alive. Go talk to them yourselves. 
That is so fascinating to me. You know, what people who know that they are not telling the truth, they go through all kinds of loop-de-loops to keep you from talking to the witnesses, right? All kinds of things to say, oh no, we don't want those witnesses telling their story. Paul knows he's telling the truth. He doesn't have to be there and chaperone your interview with Peter or James or some of those 500 that saw Jesus at one time. Go, go. I know what they'll tell you, so I don't have to be there. You go. Because you're going to get a confirmation of this fact. The resurrection of Jesus Christ happened. And that changes everything. And it changes you. If you believe it. That's what matters. It changes you. If you believe it. Paul says. I mean he's dealing with people who. Who don't understand it. They're coming from a culture that's not friendly to that idea. The idea of a, of a body coming back out of the grave. That sounds like zombies or horror films or something. And, and the Greeks didn't understand it. And even today people are skeptical of it. And Paul says but it's. It's fundamental to who we are. Because death has always been a problem. And out of nowhere, God has solved that problem in Jesus Christ. First of all, has been a problem for the human race? It has since the fall. The human race has been plagued by those words of God, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. That sin and all the other sins that we have engaged in have put death in our future. Every one of us. We all know it. We don't think about it much. That's what our iPhones are for a lot of the time, Gary, so we don't think about it. But death is in our future because we live in a fallen world and because we ourselves have sinned. And it's a problem. It bothers people. I had one of my fellow professors, Alden Bass, point this out to me. I just hadn't paid attention to it to notice. There's, uh, um, J.K. Rowling has that set of stories, Harry Potter stories. And part of the story that she tells is of a talented young student in the wizard school named Tom Ridley. He's very brilliant. And over the course of many years, Tom Ridley turns himself into a monster named Voldemort. Voldemort means fleeing from death, running from death. And the reason that he turns himself into a monster Take step after step after step to try and avoid death. That's how he becomes the monster he is by the end of the by the end of the story arc. Death is a problem for human beings. It's a problem in the Old Testament. Some of the psalmists say, God, I I want to praise you, but if if I die, then who's gonna sing your praises? How about helping me get over this illness? Death is a problem. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's solution. 
Look down at verse 55 with me. This to me is kind of a theme verse. 55 through 57. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? That's an ironic quotation from Hosea. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, what makes death so awful is that it has been put upon us because of our sin. The sting of death. The sting of death is sin. That's why he brings in the points he makes about Adam. He does it a couple of times, but look at verses 20 through 23 with me. You need your Bibles. Get one of the pew Bibles if you don't have one. Make sure you're following this. This is going to be good for you. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as, in, as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Paul says, death stings us because it is the final sentence on this sinful world and the sinful human condition. That's why death is so awful. And it is awful. But, what could take away the sting of death? Even if I still have to die, what could take away the sting? That my death is no longer accompanied by God's condemnation of my sin. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Praise be to Jesus Christ, who has met the righteous requirements of the law on my behalf. When I think about my death now, I'm not looking forward to it, but it will not sting me like someone who has no hope. When you think about your death, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then death is not fun. But it does not have the sting it would have if you had no hope in Jesus Christ. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ. That word swallowed up, that's actually a reference back to a passage in Isaiah where God makes a promise. Nobody knew how he was going to fulfill it. Isaiah chapter 25. Someday the Lord is going to swallow up death. Going to remove the shroud that's over all people. That's a promise that Isaiah was given Nobody knew how it would happen. You and I, Christians, we know it's Jesus Christ. The resurrection of the dead. 
Paul says, somebody's going to ask me, what are our bodies going to be like? And so he addresses that a little bit. Look at verse 35. How will the dead raise? What kind of body do they come? Verse 38. God gives it a body as he has chosen, and each kind of seed its own body. He says there's all kinds of different bodies in the world. We observe that. There's heavenly bodies. There's bodies here on earth, as he says in verse 40. Then verse 42, he begins to expound his ideas. Look at verse 42 with me. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. It's not the spiritual that's first, but the physical and then the spiritual. <coughs> the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is of heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What's your body going to be like in the kingdom of heaven? Well, that's, an, that's a question we probably don't have the mental equipment to fully imagine the answer to. But Paul says, your body's going to be like the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. The victorious body of Jesus Christ that conquered death came out the other side never to die again. He says, these bodies, these bodies that resemble the body of Adam, made from dust, from dust they are made, to dust they return, they are perishable bodies. The body you're going to have cannot perish. What does perishable mean? If you, if you get a, you know, one of those uh, containers of bologna and you look on it and it says, please refrigerate, perishable, what does that mean? Okay, you don't have to answer me, it's fine. You all know. Especially if you've had to dig one of those out from the back of your refrigerator after it started to turn a little green. You know what perishable means. And all of us know what it means to have an atom-shaped body that's subject to the wear and tear and rot of this world. Our body is perishable. It has a sell-by date, after which we won't be able to use it anymore. That's the atom body that we have, made of dust, doomed to go back to dust. But the body that we will have is a spiritual body. It is a body that resembles the body of Jesus Christ, the body that Jesus received after his resurrection. The body that we have is sown in dishonor, dead, lifeless, looking very much like a clay model of itself in life. It's raised, Paul says, in glory. That's our promise. The body that we have is weak. When it's laid in the ground, it can do nothing. 
the body that you will receive is mighty, powerful. I am looking forward to that new body. There are several things that come from the fact that Jesus Christ rose in a physical body and promises to raise each one of us in a new body. Several things about that. One, there have been times when different religions and philosophies have taken the Plato tack and have said, no, your body's a problem. If you enjoy it, if it's a bodily pleasure, it's probably sinful, right? It's probably bad. If you get any fun out of it, stop doing it for your soul's sake, right? I mean, that, that's, been a, that's been in Christianity. There's been a lot of other philosophies around the world, too. If you enjoy it, stop it. But you know what the resurrection teaches us? God does not just love your soul. God kind of likes your body. I don't even like my body. God likes my body. God likes your body. I don't know how you feel about your body. God likes you as you are, and he's going to raise you up. Body's going to have some improvements when he raises you up, but it's your body. That's a great comfort. That is a, that is a great thing to know. He the pleasures that your body gives you, the joys that you get from having this body that God has given you, do you think God hates those pleasures? No. God gets joy every time your body gives you joy. As long as you're not doing something that hurts you or hurts somebody else, God can't rejoice when you're doing harm to someone he loves, which includes you. The regular bodily pleasures, of which there are hundreds a day, God, is, God gets as much joy or more than you do from those. Enjoy them and give him thanks. Second thing that comes from this is that what you do in this life matters forever. Not all aspects of this life matter forever, but what you do in this life matters forever. I don't have hope that in heaven I will be wearing this jacket. It's okay, I don't like this jacket that much. But I have hope that I will see Ruby Dilworth forever. And the relationship she and I have right now, we will have forever. I'm hoping my hair is better when I get to heaven. Hoping I get an upgrade. But what I'm convinced is that I'm going to see David. And I'm going to see Lynn. And I'm going to see Bill. And I'm going to see my dad, and I'm going to see my mom, and my grandparents. Those things are forever. Jesus says, here's my command to you, John 14. 
I want you to love one another. You know why that's the fundamental command for us? Love one another. Because the energy you put into your car or your clothes or your hairstyle, that's probably going to go away when you die. But the energy you put into loving the people around you, that's forever. Forever. And that changes the way I approach the people around me. If I mess with Ruby, I have to, well, you know, I'm pretty sure she'll forgive me, but still, forever. The people around you are your treasures in heaven. The times you were able to give them something that they needed, something that they enjoyed, something that they felt loved because you provided it. These are your treasures forever. It's going to happen. That passage in Isaiah, I want to read it because I think it's so significant. It's Isaiah chapter 25 if you want to follow along. You don't have to. I'll read it to you. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 8. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, a rich food filled with marrow, well-aged wine strained clear, and he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all the people, the sheep sheet that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. The disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for the many, many great blessings that you have poured into our lives. And God, world, words just run out. They fail us when we think about this blessing, that you have taken away the sting of death for us, that death for us is momentary, and we awaken to your kingdom. God, we are grateful that because of your mighty son, Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, his burial, his resurrection, we know we will live forever. God, help us go from this place in the strength that that knowledge provides us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, if you need to respond to the invitation part life that lasts forever given to you by the one who conquered death on your behalf if you need prayers if you need help or if you today want to receive baptism and begin to walk in that new life why don't you come forward tell us what we can do for you as we stand and sing